Good morning. I wanted to say a special thanks to Henry just now. I was so excited about greeting everybody this morning and speaking to folks that I realized what, as he tapped me on the shoulder, I didn't have a mic on and ready. So he just now handed that to me, and I'm really grateful. Otherwise, I'd have been using this hand mic. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning, my inaugural Sunday as your senior minister, and I couldn't be happier. It's been a great week in the office and had actually had time to sit down and prepare a sermon, so I'm very grateful for the opportunity and looking forward to what the Lord's going to do in our midst in the coming months and years together. Over this next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a closer look at each of the five healthy functions of a church that we've talked about prior. Today, we're going to start by talking about community. And as I've mentioned before, community is about knowing, I know you and you know me, knowing each other well. That's what community is. It's knowing and being known by each other. And so we're going to start with that this morning. But to begin, I'd like to, for us to pray together one more time and invite the Lord in our midst to speak to us through his word. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful um, to be here this morning and, and for all of your many blessings, for, for life and for breath and for a beautiful day to worship together and to express our hearts to you together. Thank you, Lord, for leading your servants this morning to, to give their offering to you and leading us in worship. And we just pray that as we study the word together, God, that you would, ch you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, Lord, and that you would change us through the preaching of, of your word. And we're so grateful that we have your word and that we're free to read it, and we're free to share it in this country. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My junior year of high school, I was actually part of a pretty good basketball team. Now, you may not be able to tell it, but I actually was somewhat of an athlete growing up. I was, I was what you would call a role player. You know, I did my job. I helped the team win. I wasn't the flashiest or the, or the, or the best, but I was a solid contributor. Well, my junior year of high school, I attended a, a private Christian school in, in um, southwest Ohio, and we actually had a pretty good team that year. We won a lot of games. I mean, we, um, we, we, we ate together, um, we rode together, uh, we, we played pretty well together, and we got along. And in fact, we ended up winning about 30 games that year, which for that school was the most ever, and as far as I know, probably will remain that way in school history. We had a really good team, and uh, we had a really solid point guard, and I actually played forward. But we did so many things together, and we had such a good team chemistry that, you know, we won together, and we lost together. We practiced together. We ate meals together. We spent a lot of time together as a team. And in the end, I think we, we were about as good as we could have been. We, we maximized our potential that season. Now, the following season... I played for a different school and a different team. It was a little bit bigger school. And what was funny was I think we had more talent. We had more talented players. We had some, some guys that were really quite good. And, you know, I did my part. But what was sad was on that particular team, there were a few seniors that were pretty good, but there were a few juniors on the team that the coach really liked. And uh, so they would get a lot of playing time. And even when some of these juniors were taking a few too many shots, we felt like they were really making some unnecessary mistakes. They never got taken out. And you could just tell that the core of that team was not together. And during that season, we won some ball games. But I feel like as a team versus the junior year, when we, we, we did about all that we could do together. This other team, because we weren't together, I think we underachieved. And so we've all experienced 
things in our lives where, where it takes togetherness, it takes unity, it takes community to accomplish things in order for, to get something done. So, you know, whether you've been in the military, that's a good example. Whether you've been on a ball team, whether you're part of a performance group, I mean, there are things where you have to be together to get the job done. Togetherness is an important piece when it comes to working well together to get the job done. Now, have you ever been a part of a group like this? Can you think of it? Where everybody worked really, really well together? Can you remember a time like that in your life? Now, think about a situation, maybe whether it's at work or, or, or at school, where maybe it felt a little bit impersonal, where it, you didn't feel like everybody was really gelling together so well. Or even a third scenario, which I've experienced, where you, you get along really well with your coworkers, with your colleagues at work, but management seems kind of distant, seems kind of impersonal. You feel just like a number. You feel just like a cog in the wheel, like you're not really cared for personally. And, that, and that, that, that can be hard. But when we're together, when, we, when we're working together, when we know each other, when we, when, we're, when we trust the people that we're with, there's really no limit to what we can accomplish together. So today we're going to talk about community. You know, in the end, as you find out in the workplace, because it's so focused on results or whether, um, whether in school, impersonal, it's efficient, right? You can... It feels so efficient, like you don't, you don't waste time talking to folks, you don't waste time spending time getting to know people, you just, you just focus on the work. So impersonal is efficient, and as a manager it feels efficient, but it's actually not effective. It's not effective. And I believe the kind of ministry the Lord has called us to is very, very personal. Today we're going to discuss the journey that Jesus took his disciples on that was actually a process of preparation for the work that he had for them to do. And it's interesting how Jesus went about preparing the disciples for the work that he had for them to do. So turn with me to John chapter 17. We're going to be reading verses 6 through 19. I'm just going to read it all the way through once to begin with, and then we'll work through you know, the different thoughts that popped out at me in this passage. Now, what this is, is it's actually the tail end of, um, of Jesus. He gave a long speech. It started in chapter 13 of John. It continued on through chapter 17. And this is the last supper that he had with his disciples. And what it kind of reads like is almost like a commencement speech. So Jesus is, is talking to the disciples almost as if they're graduating. He's prepared them for the work they're there to do. But what it actually is, is it's Jesus praying out loud to his heavenly Father, and he does it out loud on purpose so that the disciples are hearing and that they'll be blessed by what he has to say. So let's go ahead and read um, together verses 6 through 19. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. 
Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name and the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, though our main text is verses 6 through 19, I wanted to share a few thoughts from verses 1 through 5. Um, the first point to bring up on the slide is Jesus mentions glory a good bit in the New Testament, particularly in the book of John. And I wanted to just give you a definition of glory. Glory is the revelation of God's character and his presence. So what do I mean by that? When you meet somebody, when you first come into contact and you shake hands and you spend some time getting to know somebody, like I've done this week with a couple of different folks, when you're spending time with them, you, get a, you get, start to get a feel for who this person is, what it is they're about, what they care about, what they value. And then when you're in their presence, it's, it's, you actually experience who they are. So it, you, you get a feel for who they are, and then you experience who they are. So what God's glory simply is, is it's revealing or introducing himself, who he is, and his presence. He's here. So when you think about um, the time when you've been on the seashore or when you've experienced a thunderstorm or you've seen a natural event, that's not something that you just see like on television. Have you ever been there in person when you've, you've seen it, you've smelled it? Think about an approaching thunderstorm, what it's like. It's something that you experience. And I think that's what God has for his people. He wants us to experience his glory, who he is, and his presence. So it's something that you experience. Now, when I come home every day, um, my wife can attest to you, something in the house changes significantly. So I come in, I come in the door, and within just a few moments, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're laughing, we're joking, I'm picking at the kids, and, um, and we're, we're kind of loud at our house. I don't know about what it's like at your house. Some, some families are reserved. We're pretty open. We, we enjoy each other. Just like last night at the dinner table, we're just laughing and goofing and picking at each other. And I know that my presence in my home makes a big difference. So, like, my character, who I am, is very evident when I'm at home. And my presence is felt. And it makes a big difference. And we have a really great time together. So, just think about it that way. God's glory is the revelation of his character, who he is. And his presence is experienced that he's here. Now, in verse 2, Jesus talks about uh, God granted him authority that he might give eternal life. Just think about that. Jesus had a tremendous authority, but with that authority came responsibility, and his goal was to give and to serve. Verse 3, it talks about eternal life. It's knowing Jesus Christ and, and, and knowing God who, who sent him. And what does that mean? How did Jesus reveal himself to them? And, and think about at that time, how well did the disciples know God? There was the temple system. The, the God that was presented to them was impersonal. 
It was a God that was harsh, a God that had rules, a God that expected a lot from them. But did he really want anything for them? So when Jesus says eternal life is to know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, it's to reveal to them who God is and that he's personal and that he cares. And that he, just want, he doesn't just want stuff from them, but he wants something for them. So Jesus' ministry was so important. Verse 4, he says, I brought you glory by completing the work you gave me to do. So just referring back to this, God's glory were revealed. God's character, who, who he is, God's presence were revealed when Jesus completed the work he was given to do. When Jesus completed the work he was given to do, as he mentions in this passage, it's like he was introducing people to God, and specifically the 12 disciples. So let's go ahead and jump into our text here in verse 6. It says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So I revealed you to them. Now, how did Jesus reveal his heavenly Father to the disciples? He did it through two things. He did it through word, and he did it through deed. So he did it by what he said, and he did it by his example. So that's how he revealed or introduced God to the disciples. And they watched closely everything he said, and everything he did. And, and then the statement, those you gave me out of the world, why is this important? When you think about all the people that Jesus could have ministered to, you know, God didn't give him everybody to work with. God gave him a small group of people, 12 to be exact, to focus on and to invest in. Why would God do that? You know, what was up here? And think about how, how do you remember how Jesus came about having these 12 disciples, was it he just picked them out of a crowd? No, he prayed all night the night before. When he, and then after a night in prayer, he selected these 12. And he says, says it like, God gave them to me. You gave them to me. Given for what? What was Jesus' work? And Because Jesus says, the work I have done is completed. And the work that he had done had quite a bit to do with these 12 men. You gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. Go ahead and bring up the next point. So where we're going this morning is that God didn't just send Jesus to address the crowds, to address everybody. He gave him a small group of people to invest in. In this season of learning, because it was, you know, God, Jesus taught them, he modeled for them. This season of community that they experienced, think about it, what it was like for them. Every day, every morning they woke up together. Then they had breakfast together. Then they went out visiting or whatever it was that they did together. And then they ate lunch together. And then they welcomed the crowds and Jesus taught them and healed together. And then they had the evening meal together. And then they spent the evening together. And then they slept in the same place. And then woke up the next day and repeat. I mean, think of the, the way Jesus' ministry could have gone. I mean, think of the power that he had. Think of the, what he could have done. He could have got a stage, you know. He could have got an entourage Jesus could have got it really working, but what did he do? He invested in a small group of people. And this season of learning, this season of community and togetherness, it prepared them for the mission that they would carry on after Jesus departed. So what I submit to you this morning is community is so important and we need it. But what is the purpose of community? Why be together? Why should I, why should Bill, you know, get to know me? 
Why should I get to know him? Why should, why should Jay and I spend time together and get to know each other? Why? Because, you know, there's a part of you that says, I, I don't want you to know me that well, right? I want you to know me a little bit. I want you to know me enough to where you think well of me, but I don't want to let you know me too much. But today we're addressing the why. Why did Jesus spend so much time with this small group of people when he could have been a real, he could have been a rock star, right? Jesus could have been. And he was at many times, just playing to the crowds, doing what it could have done to make him popular. But instead, he spent so much time with these 12 men. And it was because of the mission that he had for them to do. Verse 8 says, they believe that I came from you. You sent me and my words are from you. You gave them to me. Now through word and through deed, Jesus introduced, because that's what he was doing, you see? He was introducing them to the heavenly father and he introduced God to them in such a compelling way that they not only believed in him, but they began to believe in God, their heavenly father. Somebody who they'd misunderstood. And doesn't that happen so often with you and me and the people that we come into contact with? We misunderstand who God is. We misunderstand what he's about. And so Jesus was introducing them to God through word and through deed in such a compelling way that they believed in their heavenly father. Verse 9 is interesting. I don't pray for the world. That doesn't sound right, does it? I don't pray for the world. But for those you have given me, they are yours. Why, why would he say that in, in this prayer? Sometimes I've found, you know, when you think about Jesus' ministry, as we've already addressed, the scope of it's kind of small. It's a little bit troubling. You know, why not cast a wider net? Why not have a bigger impact? Why not get a bigger stage, have a bigger platform to introduce the world to his heavenly Father? Why was Jesus' scope so small? Why speak mostly to a small group when large groups were very available? And I thought about this this week, and I was thinking that when you look at the pages of Scripture, story after story, example after example, big impact starts small. Big impact, big impact, global impact. It starts small. And that's what Jesus is up to here. It starts small. I was talking to a business owner this week about uh, his business, and it was, it's neat. You know, he's a, he, he loves the Lord, and God's honored his, his effort and his commitment. He started with a few credit cards, and he's built a business, started a branch business. And I asked him, you know, what are you doing for marketing? What are you doing to get your name out there? You know, are you, are you using um, mail-outs? Are you using TV ads, radio ads? And he said, no, no. Actually, I found the, the best investment of my time is in my customers, and that they refer me to people. And then you think about what a noisy world that we live in. And how, how, many, how many of y'all got an uh, automated phone call this week? <laughs> my goodness. How many of y'all got letters in the mail? How many of y'all watch television and, and, we're, and somebody's trying to sell you on something you don't really want or need? It's a noisy world, isn't it? And so what cuts through the noise in a noisy world, we rely on personal recommendations more than ever. So if Jesus had played to the crowds, what would have happened? If he had just focused on getting people to think he was great, he could have had huge crowds following him from place to place to place. But then when he was 
crucified, you know, when he suffered, when they scattered, what would have happened to the movement? Who would have been there to carry on the mission if he had not invested in a small group of people? So this is what Jesus is up to, passing on. And remember, big impact in your life and my life. Think about how God changed your life, how Jesus changed your life and my life. It started small, didn't it? It started with conversations. It started with people. It started with problems. It started with challenges or suffering. So big impact starts small. Verse 10, this gives us an insight into the way that Jesus and the Father related. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I feel like this is the foundation of biblical community. And, and, and I don't know how far I want to take this, you know. All I have is yours, all you have is mine. But this is the attitude that Jesus instilled in the disciples. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And it started with the Father and the Son, a family relationship. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. I feel like that's a foundational piece for community. We can talk about that more at another time. Verse 11, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. Now this leads to what I believe is our main takeaway for today. Jesus poured years of his life into a small group of men. He introduced them to God personally so that they would be able to carry on his mission. And he did this so they would grow together, grow close together, and be as one so that they would be prepared to lead a movement, a startup movement, that would introduce people to God, many of them for the first time. And there was another group of people that, that were being reintroduced to God because they had misunderstood. So this is what Jesus is up to. To put it another way, when we grow together, it creates a lever. When we grow together, it creates a lever. So when you think about a huge piece of equipment or a large stone or a car and you've got to get it lifted up, to get it out of the way, or to work on it. How do you get it up? If you just get down low, maybe even a couple of you, and you try to lift it, what's going to happen? Maybe some of you have done this. I've done it. Oh, yeah. Does it get moved? No, and it hurts. But what, what do you do? Whether it's a car jack or whether it's a big, you know, wrought iron bar, you, get it, you wedge it in there between the piece of equipment or the stone and the ground and you begin to exert force, maybe multiple people, but does that work out a lot better than you trying to lift it yourself? And that's what Jesus was doing with the disciples. He, he spent so much time with them teaching, modeling, fostering community and togetherness. And when we grow together, it's like it create, God, you, he leverages that. It's like a lever to move things and to change things. And the things that seem immovable, he moves. And the things that seem impossible are possible. And the things that seem unchangeable are changeable because God uses our togetherness that he grows in us and he uses it like a lever. So when we grow together, it creates a lever. When a group of believers agree to become students of Jesus together, it leads them into the type of community or togetherness that God can leverage to introduce people to God. 
So this is the why. And this, is, this was Jesus' strategy. This is what he was up to. He grew them together so he could leverage their community and this teaching that he had invested in them to grow his kingdom and to carry on his mission. Verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. I protected them and kept them safe. But that wasn't the point, was it? Protecting them and keeping them safe wasn't the point. And this is why Jesus was so intent on protecting them, because what was happening was the beginning of a startup movement that would change the world. So Jesus spent so much time with them, and he taught them carefully, and he instructed them, and he corrected them. Because what he was protecting, what he was working on was so important. It was so key for what he was trying to accomplish globally. And when he departed, it would happen the same way that Jesus did it. There would be teaching. There would be modeling. There would be community. And there would be mission. And I believe that's a a blueprint for us. There's teaching from the word of God. There's modeling. Not just me. I'm... You know, I'm, I don't have everything together, but there's a lot of you out there that you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and I want to learn from you. So there's teaching from the Word of God, there's modeling to one another, there's community that we can experience together, and then God, I believe, will. If we focus on those areas, if we're studying the Word of God together, if we're getting to know each other, if we're learning from the way each other walks and, and the way each other behaves then I know, I believe that God will leverage that. He will leverage that community that we're experiencing to introduce people to God. Verse 14, they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. Now think about where these guys started, where you and I started. They were just average Joes, fishermen, tradesmen, people who worked with their hands not the educated elite. They weren't the financially wealthy. They're just average folks. And that's where they started. But look where they've ended up. They're not of this world, even as not I am not of this world. And it was through this process of teaching and modeling and community and togetherness that Jesus prepared them. And he set them apart so that they were not of this world. Verse, um, verse 15. Don't take them from this world, but protect them from the evil one. Now, this is another question that we Christians stumble over sometimes. Look at all these great things God's done for them. They should probably go off somewhere and find a safe place now. Start, maybe start a school. Maybe spend every day studying together. Maybe pick out a few people from the community and you know, extract them and keep them safe too and teach them and make sure that everything goes well and, and we all just kind of sing together and, and avoid things. And avoid the hardship and the heartache that's out there. But that's not what he's up to. Don't take them out of this world. Just protect them while they're in it. Don't take them out of this world. Protect them while they're in it. And that's you and me every day, isn't it? That's not Jesus' plan is to take us out of the world, but to use us while we're in it. Now think about what a tremendous waste it would have been for this group who had experienced world-class, I mean, the best available teaching, modeling straight from the Savior and community not to go on mission. Wouldn't that have been sad if they'd have just said, you know, look at all these blessings we've received. Let's just, let's just make sure that we keep this going. Let's just take care of ourselves. 
And we see this all the time, don't we? Christians or churches where it's just like, we're, we're good, you know, we, let's just let's keep it all together. But what a waste it would have been for this group of disciples not to go on mission. Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Being set apart is holy for a purpose. Verse 18, as you sent me, I send them. Again, he's in, this is what he's intending. That's just what this has all been about. In verse 19, he says, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And again, the role of a teacher is says, I'm going to teach myself. I'm going to sanctify myself. I'm going to focus on me so that I can be a blessing to you. So what about you? Think about what, what was necessary for the disciples to be a part of this. You know, this grand experiment, this launch that was several years in the making, what did it take? First of all, they were teachable. They were teachable. Not at first, but over time when they realized that Jesus had something to say, something that needed to be heard, they were teachable. And they were willing. They were willing. Again, maybe not at first, but over time they realized that Jesus could be trusted, that he, what he was instructing them to do was worth doing. So they were teachable and they were willing. So are you teachable? When it comes to the word of God, is your heart and your mind open to be taught? Are you willing to be instructed? Are you willing to obey? Are you teachable? And are you willing to do what God calls you to do, to take the steps of faith that God calls you to take? So are you teachable? Are you willing? And now that you understand the purpose of community, the why, what Jesus was up to, are you willing to engage with the body here as we prepare to be on mission with him? Because that's what it's about, right? That's the, that's the why, why I should kind of be open, maybe not completely open, and I don't know that I want you to be completely open with me, but we can be more open, we can trust each other a little bit more, we can take steps and open ourselves up, and we can get to know each other, and we can study the Word of God together, and I can, and I can learn about, I want to, I want to learn about your story, I want to learn about your walk with the Lord, and, and see what, what might be there for me, what adjustments I can make, and that we can experience togetherness, so that in preparation for going on mission with the Lord, and I don't know exactly what that looks like yet, so don't get nervous, I'm not going to start any big initiative or big program that I'm going to tell everybody to show up tomorrow and we're going to go do this thing. It's going to be a season, I believe, of doing the exact same thing that Jesus did, of building that community, you know, studying the Word of God together, learning from each other, getting to know each other well, and then I believe that God will honor that and He will move us in the direction of mission because like we said, what a waste it would have been for these disciples who had experienced so much. They had seen so much. They had been moved to tears many times watching Jesus minister to people, watching Jesus break through barriers. You know, Jesus didn't need the lever. He could do it directly, but then he prepared them so that he could leverage what he had done in them so that he could work through them. So what about you? Are, you? are you teachable? Are you willing? Here's a few action steps for you to consider. Some next steps. Number one, we have immersion immediately after the service every Sunday. 
and we go a little bit deeper into the message. And really what we do, and, and maybe this is what's uncomfortable, is we try to apply it. We try to consider what's been said and we say, what am I going to do about this this week? What is God calling me to do? So maybe that's a step for you. We have a group that meets in the fellowship hall and a group that meets in the classroom. Number two, participate in a life group. We have two of them that go on every week, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Maybe God's calling you to take that step to open up just a little bit, not all the way, but just a little bit, take a step forward to experience community. Number three, um, we're getting ready to start a Celebrate Recovery group. And that's going to be, I mean, we went to a conference yesterday. Jack bought the tickets. And uh, it's an incredible thing to see all of these people who are coming out of very difficult circumstances and they're celebrating that God has changed their lives. And they're literally whoop, whooping as we're walking in the front door. You'd ne- you, have, you have to experience it to understand it. And we're looking to get into that soon. And if you're interested, talk to Jack or I. We're planning on taking a field trip this week, this Thursday night, to see a functioning group and see what it looks like to cast vision for our future of, of our CR program. So Think about what God was able to do through 12 men who submitted themselves to the process of discipleship and building community both with their Lord and with one another. Think about what God was able to do with this small group, 12, just 12 people in the midst of many, many folks. They submitted themselves to the process of discipleship and building community with the Lord and with each other. Think about what God was able to do. Can you imagine what God could do through an entire congregation of people if we're willing to submit ourselves to that process? He could do a lot. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning and for... um, Thank you for your word and how it instructs us, Lord, and how it's, it just challenges us to step out of our comfort zone, and to open up just a little bit so that we can get to know each other better, so that we can study your word together, so that we can learn from each other's example, and so that we can experience the kind of togetherness, Lord, that you can leverage so that you can introduce people to you and maybe reintroduce some folks to you who, who don't even really know who you are. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your word today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we come into this time of invitation, if this morning, if if you have not yet made a decision to trust Christ, we invite you to come and do that. There's never a better time than today to, to know what Jesus has done on your behalf, that he's sacrificed himself for you, and that you can you can make a decision to trust Christ today and begin your journey of discipleship today. We invite you to do that. We invite you to come. If you don't have yet have a church home, and you, you felt led by God to join this body on mission, we're ready for you to join, and we would love to get to know you and welcome you into our family, and then for you to be a part of going, being on mission with the Lord. If today you just have a need, if you have something you'd like for us to pray with you about, um, you, you're willing to open up just a little bit and let us put our arms around you and pray for you, we'd be glad to do that. So why don't you stand with me together as we sing this hymn of invitation. I have decided to follow Jesus.